of independent thought my name is desmond price no matter where you are in the world i want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts as always we have a great show for you today now here are our topics hello everyone welcome back to another episode of independent thought my name is desmond price for this week's episode we are talking about an eviction crisis. Now for today's episode, I am bringing to you information provided by several sources. That includes The Hill, NPR, the US Census Bureau, the National Bureau of Economic Research, and some local reporting from ABC7 in both Detroit and Chicago. So first off, I wanna just thank all of the listeners for continuing to come back to independent thought each and every week i do so much appreciate you side note i want to take a special shout out to my listeners in ireland i see that i have consistently getting new plays in ireland not sure who my ireland uh listeners are but thank you for tuning in every week and if this is your first time tuning in thanks for joining us i hope you enjoyed today's episode so In addressing this eviction crisis, we're going to talk about what exactly is going on, why is this important, and what can we do as individuals. But first, let's talk about what's going on. But actually, no, before I get to that, I want to also take a quick second to address my my followers on Instagram. A few days ago, I asked you all for some input on what kind of story I should cover this week. And a bunch of you gave me some great ideas, whether it was vaccine patents or voting restriction laws, or whether it was what's going on in Colombia right now. There was a few other miscellaneous ones mixed in there. One of the issues with this show for me personally is every week deciding what the topic should be. Because whenever I cover something, it always means that I have to not cover other things that are also important. And so I want you all to know that I heard you, I saw the recommendations you had for me, and I'm hoping that I'll get a chance to touch some more of those issues here in the coming weeks. But let's dive into this particular episode. So what's going on? So there is an kind of an underlying issue with evictions going on in this country right now that's kind of somewhat being talked about, but in my opinion, not enough. And so at the beginning of the pandemic last year, it was obvious to lawmakers in Washington that shutting down the economy was going to have enormous impacts for people across the country in so many different ways. And one of those ways in particular was going to be people not being able to pay their rent, obviously. And so thankfully, an eviction moratorium was put into place with the first stimulus bill, which is called the CARES Act. And this was last March. I believe it was actually the end of March of last year. So this was a relatively good thing, in my opinion, because obviously during a pandemic, when people are losing their jobs, losing their hours, there is going to be just financial instability. And so it was definitely a heads up move by the Congress last year to put this into the CARES Act, which was the first step in a good decision. So it said that tenants could not be forced to vacate their homes due to non-payment of rent, and landlords could not file notices to vacate until 30 days after the moratorium ended. Now, this moratorium is slated currently to end on June 30th. It had been originally slated to end last year. It was extended. It was extended again. The Biden administration extended it again when they took over. And it was now originally going to end as of June 30th. 
But a federal judge out of Washington has recently just struck down the eviction moratorium. So currently, as of today, it is no longer in place. And this obviously has a lot of people very freaked out, not knowing what to do, you know, all over this country, people who might be facing potential evictions. Now, the Biden administration has currently come out and said that they are filing an appeal to hopefully get this federal judge's decision overturned so that the moratorium can go back to being in place until June 30th, which to be fair is only another, you know, 45 days or so, but at least it's better than it kind of running out today. Because though what's going to basically happen once this moratorium ends is there's going to be a bunch of people, millions of people in this country who are going to be potentially facing evictions and no one really knows how to address this. When several reporters have asked lawmakers in Washington, what is the government's response to so many people facing evictions at the end of the moratorium? No one has seemed to had any kind of relevant answer about addressing this problem. You know, and right now we are specifically talking about over 10 million households being behind on rent as of today, and over a million households facing eviction. And obviously, you know, when I heard those numbers, I was kind of shocked, not that it was that high, but rather that it was that low, you know, given the pandemic and how much it has absolutely throttled the economy. I know that jobs are kind of picking back up now, but we're talking about months and months and months and months of people not having their normal incomes, but their rent didn't adjust. So particularly, I, I just, yeah, I thought this was a low number. And also as of September of last year, you know, 25% of US adults said that they or someone in their household had lost a job because of the pandemic. And so again, I was kind of confused as to why this number was only so low, but came to find out that this eviction moratorium is not some all-encompassing moratorium that covered everyone in the country, no. Rather, this moratorium only covered people who lived in housing that fell underneath of HUD. And for those who are not familiar with HUD, HUD is the Department of Housing and Urban Development. It is a cabinet department in the executive branch that was founded in 1965 under the Johnson administration. So we're talking about public housing only, basically, who has this eviction moratorium. If you weren't living in housing that falls underneath HUD, then you had no eviction moratorium to protect you. And that is kind of insane to me because Again, HUD only covers public housing. This is limited to low-income families, individuals, people with disabilities. You know, but at a time where people were losing their jobs and losing their hours, the standards for what meant to be low income probably would have affected a lot more people. However, those people unfortunately just couldn't qualify for any kind of eviction moratorium. And so now I want to take you to a quick video of, I'm well, not a video, rather, this is all audio based, but I'm taking you to a quick clip about somebody from Chicago who was facing eviction during this last year, where you would think that, I think she assumed that she was safe because of the eviction moratorium, but unfortunately there were still landlords kicking people out onto the streets during a pandemic. Let's listen to what she had to say. So moratoriums on rental evictions remain in effect nationally and in Illinois. However, the I-Team has learned that some landlords are still seeking to remove tenants. He asked me to leave in the middle of a pandemic without proper notice, without any empathy or compassion toward my situation. Selena Stokes was laid off from two jobs during the pandemic. With little money coming in, she turned to the government for rental assistance. Stokes received $3,500 for her landlord to pay rent at her River Forest apartment, but... He gave me a written notice to leave. And when I asked for proper time frame, you know, so that I can make arrangements for myself, 
he began to take the locks off. And that's really ultimately what led me up to leave. And so while this was happening in Chicago, they, these types of issues are happening all over the country. We're hearing reports of landlords intimidating tenants with locking them out of their homes, with taking off doors, with turning off utilities. A lot of these things, granted, you know, depending on state to state, a lot of these are supposed to be illegal. And of course, people have been complaining, but you know, sometimes these things just seem to like fall through the, the cracks, even though they're not supposed to be allowed to be happening to tenants. And this is just absolutely despicable to me, the fact that we are going through this global health crisis and that some people feel the need to throw people out on the street, not even try to work with them whatsoever. And, and I know that there's an argument for the landlord side as well. And I'll promise I'm gonna to get to that here in a little bit. But the question that I have is that, are, are we about to see a lot more of this around the country once this moratorium ends? You know, as landlords all over this country are bringing more and more people into court, filing for evictions. And so if you or someone that you know is in this situation, where you feel as though you're, you're backed up on rents, you don't really know exactly what you're going to do. Like the one thing that you definitely should not do is self-evict. And now I'm gonna play another quick clip from someone named Rachel Baker. She is out of the Detroit renter city and she's gonna explain exactly why that's a bad idea. Here's the clip. What may end up happening in the next few days is a bit of a, you know, obviously valid panic um, and watching out for things like misinformation that gets passed on to tenants that could result in people self evicting and self evicting means you may be pressured by your landlord to move out. Uh, you may feel like you are supposed to move out if you owe quite a bit of back rent, but unless uh, you're actually taken to court and have due process take place in court you don't have to leave your rental unit. So I know that we have now taken some time to talk about landlords who are abusing tenants, throwing tenants out on the streets, not really caring about what happens to these people, but that's not the entire story. There are also good landlords who have been doing their best to work with people, taking partial rents, trying to do their best to keep people in their homes. This really isn't a one-sided story of only landlords or terrible people trying to throw people out on the street. That's just not the case. In fact, I was able to find an article uh, based out of NPR and where NPR interviewed a landlord named Stephanie Graves. She is a landlord in the Houston area. I'm gonna just read you a quick little bit of what she had to say, what her experience has been. Now she goes on to say, I have a small property in town. It's about 22 units and eight residents. And I'm sorry, and eight residents have not been able to pay for over six months on and off. She says she might get around a $100 partial payment here and there on the $1,000 rent. Graves says that she isn't evicting any tenants who are trying to pay and pay what they can and stay in touch with her. But that means that she's losing money. The rents coming in don't cover her mortgage and paying for the staff. And then when Houston had that freeze, you know, a couple months back, the, the hot water heater gave out. Graves said that she had to spend $22,000 to get this heater fixed with basically no income. And so she worried, how is she going to pay for that loan if, you know, this goes on for too much longer? Also, Graves goes on to mention about the fact that she has other friends who are property owners who have hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're behind on. And all of this with COVID-related costs and her and other home homeowners who are landlords in that area are just not sure how they're going to cover all of these expenses that they're accruing. And so this really isn't just about tenants. This is also about 
small landlords. And I guess in the grand scheme of things, yes, landlords are probably going to be better off than tenants, but that does not mean that these landlords are also not hurting in this situation. So some of this was tried to be addressed. Let's just put that on the line right now. There was money that was allotted to landlords under the stimulus packages. It, albeit it was a smaller amount that was offered to, to renters. But, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, that money that was sent out to landlords as, you know, kind of just a financial protection from all of these COVID related, just, you know, insufficiencies that they were dealing with, that money, along with $50 billion that was sent out to state and local governments for rent relief, for whatever reason, was mostly never dispersed. And so right now, there are tens of billions of dollars sitting in the treasuries of state and local governments around this country that was sent out to them by the federal government over multiple stimulus packages. And most of the people who would qualify for these types of relief have never seen a single dollar come to them. And so they could have been paying back rents. They could have been paying at least some partial rents. Landlords could have been receiving some income, but for whatever reason, countless state and local governments have just absolutely blown this over the last few months, happening both in red and blue states. And they're largely silent as to why they haven't been unable to get this money into people's hands over time. Now, the Biden administration, you know, I want to give them a little bit of credit here. It looks like they are trying to address this issue. But unfortunately, <laughs> the relief that was sent out to people also has its own issues. For one, you have to have, you have, you would to have have to qualified for unemployment just to be able to qualify for the rental relief. And I know that that kind of like varied from state to state, but I can tell you that self-employed people, for instance, or independent contractors, gig workers, so on and so forth, those people almost got no help whatsoever from unemployment. I know from just personal accounts from people in my own life, they were independent contractors and they had to quit their jobs because of coronavirus. But the way that the unemployment worked in the state that I'm in is you had to be able to prove in writing that coronavirus was the reason that you lost your job. Well, if you're an independent contractor, let's say in a sales position, and you leave your job because you're not able to make sales, well, there's no written proof that coronavirus was the reason that you lost your job, even though it was the reason you lost your job. And now you can't claim unemployment and now you can't access rental relief. And so this system is flawed on so many levels. It is unbelievable to me that so many people have been left high and dry during what's supposed to be a once in a century kind of calamity. But with all that being said, it does seem like the Biden administration is trying to file an appeal. They are trying to work with state and local governments to figure out what's going on with this bottleneck of money that is just stuck on the state and local levels and try to get it to the people before it's too late, before these moratoriums end, before people are out on the street. And I gotta tell you, I'm hoping for the best because history has a different story to tell us, unfortunately, because this is not the first time that Joe Biden has been put in charge of a potential catastrophe like this. In fact, back in 2009, when he was vice president, Barack Obama put him in charge of basically the stimulus package at that time and fixing that housing crisis. And I gotta tell you, it wasn't really the most stellar job underneath Joe Biden. Home ownership rates in the United States fell every single year under the Obama administration. And so what I'm basically trying to say is that we actually have not recovered 
from the first housing bubble that we faced back in 2008-2009 and there's a really strong chance that we could be heading for another one you know right now what we're seeing in america that the median house price in the u.s has gone up 20 percent in just the last year as of april the median house price in america is three hundred and forty seven thousand dollars now one of the things that worries me is that there are some landlords who are just trying to get people out of their homes so that they can sell because you know housing you know selling your house especially in a lot of areas in this country that an all-time high or maybe unfortunately some landlords are forced to sell because they don't have the income that they need from people who are just doing their best to survive right now and unfortunately there are companies like blackstone who are going around the country right now buying up homes like crazy and basically turning our country into one giant rental home market where one private company is just one giant landlord for all these places and if they're not turning them into rental homes they're turning them into airbnbs and so we have housing that's being bought all over this country that's basically in a lot of times is just sitting there dormant and that's not even to include the fact that we also are having lots of foreign investors buying up housing here in our country who are just using it as tax havens and that's a whole different story that we can't even get into right now so the housing issue has so many different layers to it it really does need to be talked about more it needs to have better solutions we honestly we didn't really have to be in this position that we are in currently this is a failure of our government honestly and truthfully because with all the money that's been dished out over the last year it would have been very easy to understand that something like this was going to happen they could have very easily had froze could have gone to the banks around the country and asked the banks to freeze mortgages that way it would have helped people who had lost their job during the pandemic it would have helped landlords not have to pay money in that way the federal government could have actually found a way to get money into the hands of landlords and into tenants that wasn't so specific didn't have so many loopholes because so many people were struggling if they hadn't lost their job most people lost hours during this time but this is more or less been a complete fumble on the part of both parties and two different administrations and now we are in this current situation and you know what it really it just didn't have to be this way but here we are now and so i've heard other people talk about this situation in fact a podcast that i am subscribed to i went and listened to their most recent episode that came out last week and one of the hosts was talking about the the moratorium ending and he was completely unsympathetic to anything that could be happening to any of these renters. His only concern seemed to be that we have to make sure that landlords get paid because, you know, their needs are obviously more important than anybody else's. And hearing him con hearing his take really just just pissed me off a lot. Because on one hand, you know, if you have to, I don't think we should have to pick sides, but if I had to pick a side, the upper middle class landlord is going to be all right. But the people who are in these homes who can barely afford their rent, obviously if they can barely afford their rent or they can't afford it, these people are gonna be out on the street. And that only, can, that only contributes to our ever growing homeless epidemic that we're having all over this country. I, I just, I, I'm thrown against the wall hearing people constantly talking about how these poor landlords, these poor landlords, like, yes, it's unfortunate how many of these landlords, but are we just gonna pretend like these tenants just don't deserve any basic human decency? Like, are we really okay as a society with throwing people out on the street because they fell behind on their rent because they couldn't go to work because of a global virus? Like, like 
what does that say about who we are? That that is the thinking that goes through some of our heads. You know, but at the end of the day, we really shouldn't have to be put against each other in the first place. This crisis is happening to both tenants and landlords. And, you know, going back to that renter that we were talking about earlier in this episode, where I played you the clip from the woman in Chicago, just taking her as an example, you know, she is now currently living in a hotel, trying her best to pay the weekly rate at the hotel while saving up for a, for a security deposit. And that's the position that a lot of people are facing right now in this country, trying to do their best to recover from everything that's happened with COVID this last year. And, you know, lastly, I'll say this, as so many people have been forced out of their homes in this last year, it has had other unintended consequences for the pandemic specifically, the National Bureau of Economic Research, they did a study and determined that a nationwide all-encompassing eviction moratorium that would have covered everyone, not just people who lived in HUD housing, we could have prevented 41% of all coronavirus deaths by just doing that one thing. 41% of all coronavirus deaths could have been avoided completely by just keeping people in their homes and off the streets and not throwing people out onto the streets during a pandemic. And so what can we do as people? I'm going to say this a lot, and so this might get really old for the listeners who come each and every week. Call your local representatives, the ones in your local community, in your city, in your county, in your township, your parish, like wherever you are at in this country, you are most local officials, because these people should have a plan to help those in your community who are facing this housing insecurity. A lot of them are usually facing local elections. This could be your election year, maybe somebody on your city council, maybe your mayor. Somebody is probably having an election come up soon. And these elections, depending on where you live, usually don't have the highest turnout in the world. And so getting a request from a local community member will actually hit harder than you might think it would. And so please ask your local representatives if they have a plan in place to help those in your community who are facing housing insecurity. Maybe you're facing housing insecurity. It is up to us to get in front of these people one way or another and ask them the tough questions. Because at the end of the day, this really is a failure of state and local governments of not really doing enough to helping the people in our communities who are facing these times. And so please reach out to these people, ask them what their plans are. If it doesn't sound good enough, tell them that it's not good enough. And so with that being said, for those who are unfamiliar with my podcast, that is going to be the end of this segment. I have my guest segment coming up here after the break. And if you are new to the podcast, you will, uh, I will tell you now that my guest and I will be having a different conversation than this conversation. So it will be a brand new topic to talk about, but stay tuned because I always have a great guest on and make sure that you listen to the commercial. Check out our sponsor. Our sponsor for this week is Bathing Beauties Beads. Right now, you can scroll up into the episode description and there is a link to that website right there in the episode notes. You can click on that and go straight to her website. She is a local business owner here in Missoula, Montana. I highly recommend you check it out. There is a promo code for 15% off in the description. So make sure you check that out. 
And we will be right back from the break with my guest for this week. Stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Indie Thought listeners, has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us for another episode of Independent Thought. My guest for this week's episode is the host of the Shall We Proceed podcast. Arlene, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, just for full disclosure, uh, fun fact, we actually already recorded an episode together just about uh, 20 minutes ago. And mm -hmm. uh, your host here, Desmond Price, forgot to hit the record button. So we're doing it a second time. You're actually going to display the public that you did that. Listen, you're better than me. That's good. <laughs> Bravo to you. Bravo yeah. to you. Yeah, we had, a, we had a solid, like, you know, 25-minute, you know, conversation. And then I looked down, and I'd never hit record. So I was uh, dropping gems, man. Gems. <laughs> you're not going to get any gems, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to do our best here to recreate the, uh, the, last, uh, the last conversation. But... <laughs> You know, whenever I have a, a new podcaster or whenever I have someone on the podcast for the first time, who's also a fellow podcaster, I always give them a chance to talk about their podcast. So tell us really quickly, what made you decide to start Shall We Proceed? Uh, what was like the motivation for it? And, you know, what do you talk about on the podcast? So my motivation, thank you again for having me here. Shall We Proceed um, was birthed from the idea of judgment-free zone, space, safe space for people to have great conversation. I miss great authentic conversations. Even if it didn't come to solving anything, having a great healthy debate with someone about variety of topics that are meaningful or maybe not meaningful, but just having those conversations where they make sense, people can speak and share their point of view. And that's where it came from. Um, I've been loving podcasts since people really even didn't know what podcasting was and I was on a few podcasts before and I just really enjoyed it I was running from doing my own podcast for the longest because I'm not a big fan of being um, in the spotlight I don't like a lot of attention on myself yes so um the same way. I don't but I love good conversation that's one thing I always require when it comes to you know to do the dating checklist what do you want I just want good conversation can we talk about stuff yeah. from comics to movies to pop anything you know why is the sky blue i missed that and um i just was sad to see that in entertainment when it comes to healthy dialogue what was heavily out there for people of color was um nonsense 
and the reality shows or the the extreme things that not it doesn't really it's not us it's not always us now you have it i mean let's have we we're going to joke and have a good time absolutely but that's not who we are totally we have meaningful conversations we want to have um the dialogue and that's why i started podcasting and i used to host a few years ago roundtable discussions at my home i invite some friends over i'd cook amazing meals i tell them to bring the drinks and bring some ice and we're going to pull topics from a jar and just talk about it and it'd be couples singles men women and just have those great conversations for hours i mean literally hours about different topics and no one felt judged or rushed or misunderstood and we all left and wasn't mad about it there wasn't any cursing or bashing or you know people who argue now get real dirty and cutthroat you know what i mean they just can't stick to the facts and they think and listen defensively and i wanted to create an environment that didn't have that that's that's why i podcast so yeah no and it's honestly it's great thing it's one of the things that i am really big about with my podcast right now it's just i feel like there is this this um we're living in an era where podcasting and not just podcasting but also like tv and you know entertainment any kind of the news it's all just kind of centered around right now just the idea of who can be more divisive really you know like i have my point of view and i'm yelling at anybody else who feels differently than me and you know if you think differently than i do then you're wrong and i'm going to tell you all the reasons why and and that seems to be the norm right now in our society and so one of the things i like to do in my podcast particular um you know is just trying to like have a more open discussion with people just you know come on and just you know say your piece about how you feel and let's just and let's just talk about that so i think that's a great thing that you're doing and you know just speaking about that uh are there like certain kinds of like topics that i guess you would say that come up on your podcast that you feel are more engaging for you than others well, I've noticed that people love the whole relationship talk. They love a good talk about relationships. Me personally, I I don't because <laughs> there's no resolve. <laughs> there's no resolve, you know what I mean? Because we're going to think, men and women are going to think and listen defensively. They're going to bring in their past, I hate the word trauma or or experiences and not listen. They're going to lump us all together then it's like, oh, use your context clues, or is there no one, it's not getting solved. At the end of the day, when it comes to relationships, we all come from different places. Our experiences are different. And um, there's not going to be a resolve for that. So why are we still talking about it? Unless we're gonna talk about how to make it different or how we are not going to raise our kids and think the way we think, you know what I mean? That type of thing. But, you know, politics, spirituality, I love it. Sexuality, I love to talk about because it's so layered and it's so um, risque in a way because everyone's not comfortable talking about sexuality or sex. Um, Religion, spirituality, politics is touchy, especially with current times. But yes. I'll I'll yes. delve into it. I don't mind, you know, being a mediator on the, on those topics. But I'm open to all conversation as long as it's good and you're making points that I can't. I think they're valid or like I see your I see your point of view, agree disagree. Then I'm willing to talk about it. It's like my show's like a big gumbo of topics. Yeah, no, and you know, one of the things that we were talking about, you know, in the segment that I somehow forgot to hit record on was uh, shout out to. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know you and i were talking about before that one of the topics you also like to refer to um is just mental wellness oh and, yes i love mental wellness yeah yeah and i was you know saying that like right now we have this unfortunate thing in our society where uh we try to like separate mental and physical wellness as if they're two different things um you know we try to speak about like how you know, when you take care of your body, you know, like physically, like your mind has nothing to do with it and vice versa. But, you know, I am a really big believer in trying to bring down the the stigma in our society that we, you know, shouldn't talk about mental health. And, you know, thankfully, I feel like, you know, as we were talking about before, it has gotten better over the years. But, you know, why do you think there's been such a stigma around mental health for so long as it has been? And, you know, why do you think it's changing now? I'm so glad you brought that up because that was a really good conversation that we had about 
health and wellness and mental wellness, I think a lot of it, you know, we're able to discuss it now openly and freely for both men and women, mostly men, which I'm really happy about because men have been muffled when it comes to mental wellness and your mental well-being is because um, people are now talking about their experiences uh, of trauma, either they've been assaulted or raped or whatever's happened. And so now there's more people who are being that forefront of, I went through something and I'm able to talk about it because I sought help. So now it's like, oh, someone who been through what I've been through that I couldn't talk about for decades, they're able to talk about it because someone helped them with it. So I can go and get help. It's safe to get help. It's yeah. safe to um, talk about those feelings and uncover them because if I don't, I'm not going to move from the place that I'm in right now. And I feel because the few that paved the way, letting you know it's okay to seek help has opened that door. And also the profession of mental wellness is now nice, nicely has everyone's face in it. Men, women, black, white, Asian, whatever it is, you can go to someone who looks like you and you can have that conversation and get the experience. You know right. what I mean? Like, I may have not feel comfortable talking to a man about being raped, but I can talk to a woman because she's a woman, I'm a woman, and she knows the fears that we have. She knows how uncomfortable it may be to be overbear, you know, that type of thing. Whereas a man who's been assaulted, you can talk to someone because he looks like you or a woman because you don't know how to, you know, whatever it may be, there's a comfort there to know that there's help out there. And we made it more accessible. It doesn't cost as much anymore to get that kind of help, you know? Right. So I think when things have happened and we're now talking about, you know, we have Me Too and different things happening and you know, they sought help to get to that point of power to discuss it. Now we can talk about it and get the help that we need. Yeah, and it's a really important thing, you know, which is why I'm so thankful that this is kind of, um, we're, you know, we're living in a time right now where, you know, as we keep going forward, it's becoming more and more, I guess you would say less taboo, you know, like less stigmatized. Right. Cause you right. know, as someone personally, I, you know, had to go into, you know, therapy for a couple of years. And, you know, the thing that always, you know, like really was uncomfortable for me was talking to people about it afterwards. Cause I just felt like there was like this uncomfortability, like in the air, like, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Like I'm not supposed to discuss the fact that I'm, that I was seeing a mental health specialist. Like it, it just, you know, it, it really just felt like there wasn't okay for me to speak about it. And I hated that feeling. So I'm really glad that we're kind of getting into a point now we were, where we were, we were a slave to labels. If you think about it, yes. we were a slave to labels, you know, you needed the history of mental wellness, especially let's talk about it, me being a woman, any kind of feeling that was over, any kind of feeling that didn't mimic what a man thought we should feel, he was put in an institution, right? You know, if you were, even if you had an orgasm, oh, you shouldn't have an orgasm, something's wrong with you. So pleasure, you need to get help. If you're too sad, you need to get help. And figure it out that after children, your body changes. You may be going through mood swings. It's okay to have these feelings. Um, or if something happens to you, the judgment of, are you crazy? Well, that's not, a ha that's not a good word to use if you're crazy. You know, when it comes to mental wellness and the labels, certain experiences that we go through, you don't want to talk about it because it's embarrassing, right? And we feel like we're by ourselves. So when you talk about it and you get labeled crazy or it makes you shut down because you feel you can't talk about anything. And so now we're seeing more people be strong and open and you know you're not by yourself. So of course you're going to have those conversations now. Um, and I feel like I said, within the past three to five years, it's easier now because we're realizing we have to catch, we have to call, do preventive, preventive work, prevent the work, prevent it from happening. Yes. Um, we have our military has been through a lot when it comes to wars, our veterans, and they're battling, and we should have helped them a long time ago. We have people being assaulted in their homes, and they're not getting help, and they're either repeating the process or they're shutting down. We've had a high percentage of people commit suicide, whatever it may be. People are losing their lives behind not being able to speak up. 
So now we realize let's do the work, let's help each other out and find a way to make it easier to have those conversations. Yeah, no. And it's, it's not just, you know, like that, that's a very important part. And also I think that we also need to be careful about how we're having these conversations. Cause I, yes. you know, as we were referencing in the last time around, um, sometimes, you know, you'll run into certain, you know, providers who don't even really want to have conversations with you. They just want to give you some medication and kind of just send yeah. you on your way. And, you know, some people are definitely looking for that. You know, I'm not trying to put anyone down who like feels like medication is the only thing that they needed. I just uh, know personally that, you know, there are some people out there who just want to prescribe you something and send you on your way. But, you know, medication doesn't always solve everything. I mean, it doesn't really stop you from having the thoughts that you were having. And so I, uh, and I think, yeah, I agree with you. And a lot of people who've been on medication, they'll tell you, I didn't feel right. They felt like they were zombies. They didn't feel good. And it's just masking what's really going on. You're not exactly. getting to the root of the problem. And many times you didn't need medication. It just could be you're antsy, you need more work to do, or you need an outlet or you need something to distract you, whatever it is. You know, when they started putting kids on um, ADHD or ADD medicine because they were hyper in class, it's not because they were hyper. Some my nephew was put on that when he was younger and it was because he was smart and I was finishing his, finishing his work with everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, give me more work to do. So I just think that we found better ways to um, solve those traumas and those issues when it came to mental wellness with therapy. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when it comes down to just like communication in general, you know, like I just felt like, you know, kind of just like ending off this topic was, you know, not that I'm saying that people shouldn't have medication, but I felt like at the end of the day, I think the most important thing was just being able to talk to somebody about what I was experiencing was the most helpful thing personally for me and from other people that I've spoken with. It seemed like that was also something that they needed, just someone to listen to what they had to say, which kind of brings us into, you know, another thing that we were talking about before, which is just like the dynamics of just like communication. It's like why those are important. Communication and is so important. Oh my God, it's important. Um, not to cross you, I apologize. Oh, no, but you're communication fine. is extremely important. I think that communication, of course, it goes both ways. And we can't, if you want good communication, you'll be a good communicator, right? So you have to also understand that we have different communication styles and I have to respect that. But the only way anything's going to work, be it in relationships, debate, whatever it is, is, is good communication and being able to express yourself and being open to what they're going to say to you without being defensive in your listening. We listen very defensively and we react because we're not used to that or we're judging. And you can't think, you can't judge someone by what they're saying because that's their experience, right? So in my opinion, when it comes to communication, it's important to check yourself and where you are at mentally and be willing to listen and, and be open to what they're saying to you because it's hard expressing yourself. It's hard it is. opening up and saying, I hurt or I love or I don't understand because before they spoke to you, I wouldn't be surprised if someone didn't make them feel silly, unimportant, ridiculous. And that's an awful feeling to have, you know? So for someone to share with you and then you get defensive or you react in a certain way, you're shutting them down completely and you don't know what damage you're doing right there. So we have to be able to communicate and be willing to listen and understand that my frame of reference is not yours. So listen with a, with a graceful ear and understand that this is their experience, this is how they're feeling. I shouldn't take away from that. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. And you know, like, as a podcaster, you know, I, one of the things that I really uh, believe in is that, you know, word choice matters. Oh my I always, God. I always think about how I'm trying to frame anything that I'm talking about, because I just realized just like how important it is to just, especially when you're talking about sensitive subjects, you want to make sure that you are expressing yourself the right way, because there are people out there, especially with, you know, more sensitive topics who, if you, if you just kind of like, dismiss what someone's gone through you know 
even if it's in it unintentional, like you can do a lot of damage to people that way, especially if, you know, it's something that was really traumatic for them. So I definitely appreciate you saying that because it's, it's something that I feel like needs a, a little bit of a larger spotlight, just how we talk about these important topics in our life. And you asked me before on, on when we won't discuss what happened before, but what you asked me before <laughs> was, you know, how do I get people to feel comfortable? And that's a big thing for me. I want to create a, spa a safe space. I know that everyone didn't live the life that I lived and I didn't live the life you lived. We may look alike. We may sound alike. We may live in the same town, even the same house. Our experience is different. So for me, I think it's important for anyone who sits in the seat that we sit in to create a safe space that they're comfortable to have those conversations because what may be easy for us isn't easy for everyone. That's true. And also the repercussions of it, you know, some people are still very tied to what people think of them, you know, and um, I don't want people to know I like certain things or I do certain things or I say certain things, you know, I think that's why so many of us marry wrong, date wrong, work wrong, because we go along with what everyone else thinks you should be doing or who you should be dating and who you should be marrying. When you like certain things, you, you like certain people or certain types, and you're just trying to go along with what everyone in your unit is used to, when that's not really who you are. And I think we have to create safe spaces to have those conversations of exploring why do you feel the way you feel? How you feel isn't wrong, but why do you feel the way you feel? And it's okay to talk about it. That's really, really important. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like, um, you know, one of the things we were discussing before was uh, the fact that, you know, sometimes there are certain people that aren't open to having those conversations because they are just stuck, you know, in a box. Like some people don't really want to hear other people's opinions. Some people, you know, never really travel outside of their comfort zone literally and figuratively you're talking about before about like how you think it's important just from like a culturally perspective just go live somewhere besides your hometown for a year of your life right yeah get out like you have to you go you're in your home until the age of three or four then you go to school you meet all these amazing people you make new friends and someone tells you you shouldn't be friends with them why you know or you shouldn't say certain things why you shouldn't go certain places you have to experience life to understand life. You know what I mean? You have to. And I've noticed though, the most judgmental people are the most insecure people. And they're insecure because I've met many people who judge someone or judge an action and deeply they want to be able to do that themselves, but they can't. Mm. I mean, I you could see I mean? that. I could definitely see that. Absolutely. I've seen people... You know, I've seen women judge women. It's like, you just mad because you want to wear that also. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, that's when I have to be like, don't do that. You know, don't, don't, don't knock a person down. You know what I mean? If you don't understand, you don't understand. That's one thing. But uh, many times the judgment that I don't understand or the defensive or the ugliness I don't understand is because that person has insecurity. And we all right. know that one person who's a bully, who's mean, who's ugly, other people because they're trying to deflect from themselves and they're trying to put on other people misery loves company and a lot of that is miserable people you know what that is absolutely true and i think that it's not a bad place to end as far as like reflection is concerned you know because right. at, at the end of the day you know i, I feel like if not that saying, you know, like someone listened to this podcast, I hope that because all good people listen to this podcast. But Absolutely. If you, but if you know somebody who is, uh, who is like that, you know, there might be some underlying insecurities that they're hiding. Um, that's, that, that's probably a pretty fair assessment. But you know, the podcast is called Shall We Proceed? Uh, you know, as we're wrapping this up here, just plug your podcast really quickly, just tell everyone where they can find you at. Thank you. You can find Shall You Proceed on all major streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher. I am on Facebook and Instagram. And I also have the video of my podcast on YouTube. You can all find me under Shall You Proceed. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I hope that we can get you back on again in the future. Yes. And hopefully you'll hit record. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we missed some gems that first time around, but you know, 
I, uh, Man, it was I good. Will, it's okay though. I'm gonna have a little sticky note next to the next to the computer next time. Hit record. <laughs> that was just All for right. us. <laughs> All right. Well, all right. For everyone else, uh, we're going to take one last quick break and I'll be right back with my final thoughts of the day. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with me through another episode of Independent Thought. So first, I want to thank my guests, Miss Arlene from the Shall We Proceed podcast. Thank you for going out of your way to finish that episode with me. I still cannot believe that I messed it up the first time, but we got it done anyway. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. Hoping to have you back on again in the future. And to all the listeners, if you liked this episode and you have not already, please subscribe. The little subscribe button is right next to my, to my artwork that is on whatever platform that you are listening to this right now. Hit that subscribe button. And if you wouldn't mind, if you really liked this episode, go ahead and share it on your social media, whether that's a screenshot or the little share button that is available on most platforms. I know that Apple and Spotify have a little share button right there. Go ahead and share this episode. It really helps with just getting the name of the podcast out there more. I very much appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who's gotten to this point in the episode. And if you are interested in supporting the movement a little bit more, I'm not sure that actually qualifies as a movement, but I'm calling it a movement. If you want to support the show, scroll up into the description now. There is a link to join my Patreon. Thank you to all 32 of my patrons. You are very much appreciated and you definitely make this job so much easier. Thank you so much. Now, what you can expect from the podcast coming up in the future is I'm going to have two more episodes and then this season will come to a close. So that'll come to a close on the 24th, I believe, will be my final episode of the season. And then I'm going to be gone for at least six weeks, but maybe eight. So we're looking at six to eight weeks. The, the, the fact of the matter is you will not get another episode of Independent Thought until July. That much is guaranteed. So I'll be taking some time off. I will be celebrating my birthday. My birthday is in June. And I will also, behind the scenes, be gearing up for the next season. Always hoping to improve this podcast and to figure out new people to get on, new conversations to have. And as always, your feedback is more than welcome. So if you, lo- if you have comments about this episode, prior episodes, future ideas you want to throw at me, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Independent Thought and share your thoughts. I love hearing from everyone. It's not a bother. So please share with me whenever you can. So I want to conclude this episode by talking about why this was so important. As I said at the top of the episode, there's a lot of different things going on in the world right now. So why talk about the eviction moratorium when I could have talked about vaccine patents and what's going on in the global South right now with India, with Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, what is going on over in Colombia right now and how state violence kind of tearing apart that country. I could have been talking about what's going on at our own Southern border right now and how that's not really getting the coverage that that deserves. I could have also talked about the rise in cryptocurrency. And you know, there is so many different issues to talk about. I briefly touched on some of the the bills that are attacking trans people in our country on Instagram. If you're interested and go check that out. I want to talk about the voters, uh, the voter bills that are passing through so many state houses across this country right now. But this eviction story is just not getting the coverage that it deserves. And I think that all of those stories I just referenced deserved coverage. But this one, it just, it felt personal to me for a multitude of reasons. You know, on one hand, I just cannot get over 
people who are just so just they just look down at those who are struggling with housing during this time or with any time for that matter but this time in particular i mean coronavirus came through our country last year and millions of people through no faults of their own had their hours cut had their hours completely reduced i mean some people got laid off didn't know when they were ever coming back to work some people got furloughed some people lost their jobs completely businesses were shut down altogether i mean so many people had to do whatever it was that was necessary to survive and all the while like mortgages did not you know did not change in price no one's rent changed in price people were expected to pay full rent even though they had barely any money if any money whatsoever and for those who kind of allowed for partial payments it didn't change the fact that all these people now had just like back rent to deal with and so if you were someone who has rent that's a thousand dollars a month and you weren't able to make payments for 10 months straight until maybe just recently when economy started opening back up around the country. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars of back rent. And for those of you who paid attention to a lot of the talking points of the Democratic Party back in the primaries, you know, before the 2020 election, one of the things that Democrats kept talking about over and over again was how so many people in this country are living paycheck to paycheck. So you took people who were already living paycheck to paycheck, you throw in a pandemic which knocks out their paychecks, and now they're going back to just once again living paycheck to paycheck, but they have all of this extra debt. Like, what exactly are these people supposed to do in those conditions? It just, it, it's absolutely mind boggling to me that there are so many in this country who have no sympathy for these people who will say like, well, what about the landlords? You mean the landlords who are going to be fine? I just, it, honestly, again, I don't wanna get into the landlord versus tenant debate. Both people should be taken care of, but just absolutely mind boggling to me just how heartless some people are when it comes to this conversation. I mean, the most important thing that I wanna say about this is that our government needs to be more involved in the situation. And I know that there are those who believe that government doesn't have a place in our society for the large parts. Like there's, uh, you know, I'm talking to conservatives mostly right now, that you know, less government is better. We want less government involved in this, less government involved in that. But I would hope that even the most conservative person, even the most true libertarian would understand that if nothing else, this is the moment when you need governments to be there during a catastrophe, during a pandemic, during a time where this is basically a natural disaster, where a force of nature comes through and wipes out your entire ability to take care of yourself. Is this not the moment when government was designed to be there to help the people when they were unable to do so themselves? Is this not that moment? As I said at the end of the first segment, please call your local representatives. I unfortunately know people who were homeless during this pandemic, who had to live in shelters, who had to you know, hope that friends would take them in. I know people who were just right on the brink of being homeless and the kind of mental just instability that can create in your mind when you are that close to not knowing what's going to happen to you or like how you're going to eat, how you're going to pay your bills, like what's going to happen to all of your possessions. Like this is an absolute just catastrophe <laughs> as far as, I mean, there were so many different things that happened with COVID, obviously the people that were lost, but Alongside of that, there's also the people who are going to be absolutely drowned in debt for years to come because of this crisis. And I would just hope 
that during this time that we can find a way to get our elected officials to do what they were originally designed to do, which is to be there for the people when the people cannot help themselves. These are not people who just voluntarily left the workforce because they were lazy and didn't want to work. These are people who were forced out of their jobs because of a virus that was sweeping through the world. Call your representatives, ask them to do something about this. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. See you next week.